This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome back to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this final episode, Akash Odedra describes his projects and development and his need to balance life on and off the stage. Well, we're, we're getting to speak to you just before you go back to the United States and tour uh, quite extensively with this work. And uh, so you, you'll have to make that switch again from the performer in Rising to the James Brown performer. It'll be very interesting. And you've also just come uh, from Glasgow and Edinburgh, where you've performed the beginnings of a new work, new work. called Murmur. Is yes, that right? Yes, that's right. Tell us about that work. Murmur's a piece based on dyslexia. So it's a... Uh, it's a co-creation between uh, Louis Robert Major, who was my rehearsal director for Rising, and uh, myself. And it's a collaboration between Ars Electronica. Um, and it's based on dyslexia because I grew up as you know with dyslexia. And it was really strange because I never felt like this, um, as they put me, this a disability or a child with disabilities, you know. They didn't put you in that category or they, they, they did? They, they did. They tried to. Uh-huh. But I really refused. Like, I refused to have extra time for exams and all of these things. But I really think it was a term which was, I think, discovered in the 18th century. But it hasn't changed till now. And then throughout my research, you know, the amount of people like Richard Branson, so many entrepreneurs who have dyslexia, um, but how is it that they're so so successful and yet, you know, in school you're made to feel or in society you're made to feel as if, you know, you're less than any other person around you. But it really showed in my research that actually the very, the, the, the brain is four times as faster than a normal brain and it's also hard to keep up, uh, physically keep up when you're writing. So your brain is shooting ahead. And in terms of grasping a bigger picture or a concept, you get it. So this idea of murmur was when when I just took a simple idea, when I looked at a board, you know, letters would switch around. So these letters switching around, murmur means when a flock of birds or starlings come together and they create this huge ball, you know, this huge ball which flies around in the air and they swoop and they change, you know, shapes and uh, and it changes its form. So the letters for me always change their shape and form. Um, so I related it to these starlings which fly in this huge flock called a murmur. And then if you take an individual starling, it's it's an amazing creature, you know, amazing bird. It has this really curious personality. It's always it's always looking for something. And curiosity is often a sign of intelligence. Um, so I took the individual starling, but placed in this form, in this huge group of a murmur, it changes the dynamics. So this piece of, of, of murmur has really developed and also been inspired by this starling, this bird. And I love birds because I also feel when you look at animals, I, I'm a huge David Attenborough fan, huge, huge, mm. huge. Um, 
it's almost like they don't speak our language, but does it mean that the intelligence of an animal is anything less? You know, sometimes we look at a dog and sometimes they pick up so much, they sense so much from another human being. They, they can sense when you're sad. So there's a sense of intelligence. As a society, we judge intelligence on black and white. If you can read, if you can write, you know, in a certain manner, or if you're academically intelligent, you're intelligent. But what about the other forms of intellect? creativity, you know, sense, touch, taste. There's so many forms that we end up ignoring as we grow up. As we're young, when we're in, in playgroup, you know, we're, we're nurtured with creativity. And as we grow up, it becomes narrower and narrower and narrower. So true. And this narrow point is what we judge everything on. But this point, we've, the, the point below where we've, you know, in, in nursery of creativity, we lose. But I think that's why a lot of dyslexic people become creative because if you have a sentence and you can't spell a word you would often find a sentence to to compensate for that word so you find a pathway around that so you have to create a new um, paragraph or sentence to compensate for one thing so you find this in in a lot of people who have dyslexia that they look at things differently because they are used to finding a way around or looking at an object very differently mm-hmm. but what was the connection for wanting to explore this very high-end technology in the work because i think it was really interesting um for me to be able to See, I was going into a mind i was trying to go into let's say my mind but it, the, the subject couldn't just be about my own mind it had to go into within and what i or what we wanted to create lewis and myself was the idea of objects being around you to be able to create a warped reality a reality that is there and that can also disappear as well but not that there's a projection in the back and you know you're you're in the front of it but you're really immersed with this and so that's why we started the collaboration with ours because they really have this amazing ability of not saying no to the most ridiculous idea. You know, we went in with the idea of holograms, you name it. We had all sorts of ideas and then we explored all of them and um, tried to create a reality which is sort of encompassed in this circle. We have like these 10 fans which are around and everything is within this circle. But then it's a sort of a, a reality that you create, a bubble that you create that sort of disappears and reappears time to time with the technology. It sounds incredible. We'll get to see this work very soon. Is that is May that right? the 6th and 7th, it premieres. It's a part of another uh, uh, full evening. Second half is a piece called Inked, based ah. on tattoos. Inked. Inked, based on tattoos, inspired by my grandmother um, as she was tattooed, you know, tr- these tribal tattoos on uh, on her hands. And um, so the reason of why people get inked, you know, what is the reason why people mark themselves, scar themselves? How does it how does it connect to them? What does it mean? So, so uh, exploring that whole subject and it's choreographed by Damien Gillette. Ah, Damien Gillette, who's a collaborator with Larby Chakawi. Yes. And we've seen here dance many times in several of Larby's works. Yeah. Yeah. And how's that collaboration going? Damien's amazing. I mean, Many he, people will know his name also because he contributed a bit to uh, to Desh, which we had here last fall, yes. Akram Khan's work. And yeah, he's. this is what I love about uh, Damien. And Babel, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, just the way he looks at things. I mean, you give him the most ordinary, you know, you give him a glass, I'm sure he'll put a spin on that glass. Or, you know, whatever you may put in front of him, he has his very own way of looking at something. Again, it was like, I can maybe, I, I, I identify with that myself. It's like a, a person, he's, you know, it's like a person who has dyslexia who looks at something and really gives a different take on it. 
it and I love that about Damian. I think he his creativity and his skills as a choreographer are just phenomenal. But what comes first in that kind of collaboration? You decide you want to make a work about the tattoos and inspired by your grandmother's uh, tattoos herself, or you decide you want to work with Damian and together you come up with that idea. It's a curious well, I was, process. I was always um I I loved uh, what Damian does anyway generally, um but it. Uh, this idea came to me when I was flying on a plane. You know, it just come. It came to open my eyes, and I said, "I have to do a piece on Ba's tattoos." Ba is what I called her, on her trajva. They call tattoos, and the name came to me straight away. It said Damian. You know, there was nothing else. It just came to me, and it was instinctive. It was like an intuition. So I, as often when I go against my intuition, I feel as if I've done something wrong. So I asked him. I said, "It's a specific subject, you know. It's to to do with tattoos. Would you be interested?" And I sent him photos of my grandmother, and he had a look at it. And then we started to research a little bit. And then he came. You know, I went to the studios. He saw me dance for about four days, and he said, "Yeah, I think it was something you'll be interested mm-hmm. in." You, you talked a lot about the audiences when we spoke about the James Brown project. What what do you think about? Does the audience become? part of the piece for you when you're doing things like Rising or the beginnings of Murmur or do you sort of need to blank them out somewhat when you're performing? I think some it, sometimes it goes both both ways. Um, sometimes I get so lost in my own world when I'm dancing. It's like when you came to the studio the other day. <laughs> I, I was stood totally, there for 10 minutes yeah, and you didn't I know was I was totally, there. I was totally um, like, even though I was, whatever I was doing, I was totally in my own world and that happens on stage. Where... I want to reach a point where I'm lost. I want to reach a point where I lose myself so eventually I can find myself somewhere. And sometimes, I mean, vibrations and energy is such a thing that it's invisible, but you feel it. Sometimes when you feel an energy from the audience, it's hard to ignore. You know, sometimes I've got to receive it and sort of transmit it back to them. Um, You know, but so there has to be this balance of me getting lost and also being able to through my when I find myself connect with people, you know, connect with whoever's there, and I think that's really important. This sort of um, exchange of energy which goes around in the theatre, exchange of energy between for me, because I'm very spiritual from you know from someone up there who's beyond me, whether we call it God, a higher energy, whoever, and an exchange of energy of the audience. Exactly what James Brown did, you know, it was vertical. It went up. And then it sort of went horizontal as well towards the audience. So to keep this axis in my dance always is really important. How do you decide what comes next? I mean, you've got Inked, you've got Murmur, you've got James Brown. What what are the next things that are kind of bubbling in your brain? Because, again, you're talking about all these sentences leading to, to new phrases, new ideas. There must be a, a long list. I think... Um, after these, these projects, not when it premieres, I think I have an issue... I think what happens often when you dance is it becomes, well, I notice this with a lot of people and I don't like it with if it happens to me, myself. You start to become in your own bubble. So your bubble becomes about the next review. Your bubble becomes about how well the show goes and how well it was received. But then there's a whole reality. There's a world outside of your dance. How can you ignore that as an artist? So for me as a performer... You know, what was satisfying for me when I used to work in Mumbai, I used to work in these three companies, endless hours, but I got to work in an orphanage as well. I got to connect with people as well. In this world, what the danger is, you go into the world, uh, and my gurus always told me, stay away from the limelight. When you're off stage, you're off. 
And I think it's really important for me to be able to connect with the real world as well. What does that mean for you? What is your life beyond or what is that other side you know, outside like, of the limelight? It, it's like for me, I get joy out of sim- simple things, being able to you know, help someone in a, in a certain way. Like, there was, it's going to sound a bit random, but there's this documentary I saw on dairy fa- farms, dairy farming in India, and how badly the, the, the animals are treated, you know, how badly they're, they're kept. And it really moved me, it really hurt me. I wish if I could go there and just do something. I also work with the last living Tawaifs of India, the last living, like the geishas of India, which have been shunned away from society because the British, you know, stigmatized them uh, and said, you know, with their wives are prostitutes. So they were, and, and in reality, these women were the first taxpaying women, the first artists, the first feminist of India. It's because of them that my form is here. But then um, because their dance was very sensuous, people, the British thinking Indians and also the British in that era didn't understand their philosophy or the idea of Indian philosophy that of sensuality or sensuousness and spirituality going together. They didn't understand that. So the more they didn't understand that, the more these women made their gestures obvious and more sensuous, the more the uh, Victorian British people sort of, you know, cast them aside and said, you know. So a movement went across India called the Anti-Notch Movement and it, um, uh, you know, labelled all people who dance, etc. as prostitutes. When... In actual fact, you know, I really feel for these women. These last few, I can count them on my fingers. They're really hard to find. Um, and being able to help them somehow, you know, through my dance, or wh- whether it's financially, because they were supported by the kings. So when all the kings were robbed mm. of their titles in the 1950s, these women were left on the streets. Mm. Um, and now to see them in these really bad situations really hurts me or really moves me and compels me to want to help them. So my aim, apart from all the dance that is happening in theatres, etc., that we're doing, um, is to be able to help them somehow. And that's where I feel like I'm actually doing something that that is from within me, like really, you know, not just in a bubble of dance where people will clap, they'll go home. Yes, everything has an importance, don't get me wrong. Even um, dancing in on stage, you're connecting with people. But I needed to connect with people in a different way. I needed to feel a bit more human, not just, you know, something which is all about reviews or which is all about everything, a life in theatre. I needed to be with reality, a reality that I've, I'm moved by as well. Are you able to make that happen in a balancing way in your own day-to-day life? At the and moment, no. And I think oh. this is a frustration for me. You're li- living in London now, is that? Well, I'm living in a suitcase. In a suitcase. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, it's always... Do you have a family home still? I just bought my first house, like, last week. Okay. You know, for 15 years, (laughs) I've went from this floor, person's floor, to that person's kitchen, to that person's... You know, it's been like this, from pillar to post, from... for the last 15-odd years. Um, And then I felt... uh, And, you know, my documents are in between four houses, my dad's house, my mom's house, and... So I I felt as if there has to be a place now where I put everything in one place. Um, So I just bought my own... Uh, home as such I don't know how often I'm going to ever be there but at least somewhere where I can put my stuff belongings and they you know and know where they are um, but I think at the moment everything is it's because there's um, so much work at the moment and it's it's a solo you know we I have a responsibility towards the company towards people who have believed in me you know sometimes it was their belief that got me through more than my own belief like Akram's belief 
you know, I sometimes I I push through rising because I know that there's a lot of people who had invested a lot in me, and I felt like I said I owed a lot to my gurus, etc. So at the moment, there's no balance as such. There's not a balance. I know that for sure. But as long as I'm aware that there's no balance, as long as I'm not deluded that you know this limelight is me. Is me because I know it's here today, and I don't know if it's going to be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I never want to be attached to it. Akash on stage, I still want him to be Akash on stage. That's fine. I have something to say there. I say it. But when I'm off stage, I want to be off stage. I want to be able to be human. You know, not uh, not someone who's going to jump out of a poster and start dancing or whatever. You know. Well, that's perfectly evident from this conversation that there's many, many layers to Akash the dancer and Akash the choreographer. Before I let you go, I just want to understand one thing. How does your family re- respond to your work now? Full circle to the conversation. Did your grandmother get to see you dance? Do you know what? No. No. My grandmother passed away just before Rising. Okay. Um, she promised me that she would come to see the show and I dedicated Rising to her. Um, and my family, there's been, a, I think, a huge change a huge shift you know the boy who was crazy who would go to class for no reason um and you know now all of a sudden you know my family my mom and dad never used to read they hardly i could count on my fingers how many shows they came to see but now every show you know if it's a new show my mom would be there uh, or my father would be there and i think they've really um they they mean the world to me and i suppose my grandmother is there with me i smell her scarf every time i go on stage so I, I, I think they, I, I'm just as much connected with them through my dance as much as I am just with my dance now. Well, you obviously have a lot to say, and I hope this is the first of many conversations we'll have uh, both here in Ottawa and abroad. It's been a great, great, great pleasure to speak with you. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. That's all for this edition of NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca backslash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.